In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. But manhood at its very essence, at the very headwaters of, of, of masculinity, is life-giving responsibility. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard with our perfectly harmonized voices, I'm here with my co-host, good friend and the producer of this show dale culver how you doing my man i'm good it's nice that our wi-fi is uh, syncing up really good right now yeah this is working really good today and i'll tell you i gotta tell you i'm i'm really excited about our guest today uh in 07 i read one of his books and it altered the way i raised my kids it has altered the way we do ministry with men in the arena and this guy has directly affected men in the arena and he doesn't even know it. Well, he does now. So I'm really, really excited to bring Robert on our show today. He's actually, he wrote this book, Raising a Modern Day Knight, that when I when men ask me, what book should I read for my sons, I recommend that book. I just say, that's the book you got to read, period. Just read that book and uh, come talk to me later. And so I have uh, uh, his original definition of manhood engraved on a buck knife. It's it's before we changed ours. It's, so it's really, really exciting to have him on the show. But before we bring him on, what is the man word for today? Oh, my man word is fraternity. <laughs> Good. I thought authentic. For, I thought for sure you'd slam dunk this baby. My word is better. Oh. <laughs> because we should always be trying to become better, be around people that are going to make you better and uh, not people that are going to make you bring you down into their level, but yeah. So, I chose better, brother. I, I read a book years ago on worship when I was going through ordination and and the guy defined excellence as getting better each time. And I thought, oh. what an interesting definition of mm, excellence. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm very excited to bring him on. I'm gonna, let me tell you his bio right now, man. This is Robert Lewis. You want me to do a shout-out? Oh, did we get a shout-out? We do, bro. Oh, let's go. So this is uh, from M-A-T-T-A-A-S, Matas, I think. Uh, so thanks for the shout-out that you gave us. Um and I, you, I noticed that you put on there, sometimes uh, it takes two to three listens to unpack all the knowledge 
So I let Jim know that, and I told him to water it down a little bit for you. But no, just kidding. Uh, hit us up at info at menintherena.org, and I want to send you some swag, buddy. All right? Thank you. Hey, appreciate that. Hey, keep the reviews coming, guys. I know iTunes is making it pretty tough to write reviews, but keep doing it, and we really will appreciate that. We will send you some swag. So, hey, I want to introduce my friend, new friend Robert Lewis. He's 70. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Sherrod. That's right. For 49 years. He's coming on 50 years of marriage. That's so cool. He lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. Let me tell you a little bit about Robert. His his three-year men's video series, Quest for Authentic Manhood, Winning at Work and Home, and The Great Adventure has been used in 25 countries around the world and has reached well over, I think this is a low number, 2 million men in the United States. He was awarded the Pastor of the Year Award in 2001 by National Coalition of Men's Ministry and the Distinguished Author Award by Lifeway Publishing in 2015. Currently, he serves as the founder of Better Man, a new men's ministry and curriculum that will be launched nationally July this year. And I'm excited to hear about this guy because he's done so much, I'm a little confused it's blurry what this guy has done in his life, and so I'm excited to get Robert on. Robert, thank you so much for coming on, sir. Thank you, Jim. It's a delight to be with you and get to meet you for the first time. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Hey, before we launch into the questions, will you just take a minute and, and uh, or five minutes or so and just tell our, our audience a little bit more about your story? These guys are driving to work. They're, they're in the middle of the bubble. They're 30, 30 to... 55 years old and just grinding life out. And, and I think it'd be great just to hear your story and encourage them with it. Yeah, my, my story began in Louisiana. I uh, grew up in a, a home, a small town, Ruston, with uh, my two brothers and myself. And um, then when I was a senior in high school, I got a scholarship to play for the University of Arkansas, the Razorbacks. Razorbacks. And I always, I always have to say when I tell people I played for the Razorbacks. I played when they were good. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a drought for a few years, but I played with a great group of guys up there. We actually got to play for the national championship my junior year. And uh, that was quite an experience as well. Um, but, uh, but it was in college when I found Christ. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my mom and dad struggled in their marriage. My dad was an alcoholic, which created a huge rift between us. Uh, but in college, I came to Christ and uh, got discipled through some uh, really aggressive young Campus Crusade staff guys and a great local church. Wow. And uh, when I finished uh, college in 71, decided I would take a couple of years and just explore ministry. So I worked with college students at the university. And at the end of that time, made the decision to go to seminary, actually came out on the West Coast. Then I went to Portland, Oregon, enrolled in Western Seminary uh, to work on a Master of Divinity, but also went to graduate school at Lewis and Clark College, worked on an MA in counseling psychology, mixed those two uh, kind of disciplines together, which I think was really good, really helpful for me, because I was trying to figure out me, not just grow as a Christian, but I was trying to figure out me growing up in a uh, with some wounds from a broken home. Yeah. And uh, after I graduated, uh, I became a pastor. I was a pastor for 30 years. Uh, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas with my wife, who was my high school sweetheart. We went and uh, over those years and started a church here in Little Rock, had four children. Uh, now I have four children and 11 grandchildren. Wow. Believe it. 
celebrating, like you said, uh, coming up on 50 years of marriage, uh, left the full-time pastorate back in 2005 because I wanted to pursue working with men around the world, which is what I've done. I've just had a wonderful journey uh, outside the church. I'm still involved in the church, of course, but outside the church, uh, working with men. And I've also gotten a number of other projects. We started a a discipleship center here in Little Rock. And uh, I'm on the Bob Buford Foundation board uh, because Bob was a close friend of mine for, you know, 25 years. And uh, so I work with his wife and a foundation. So we get to bless people with gifts and those kind of things. And so I'm just, uh, I'm just having these projects that I get to work on that take pretty much full time. That is such a great story. I did. So I didn't. So Arkansas, I read a book recently where somebody in the book told a story about you at Arkansas and the coach who took an alligator and attached it to his backside. Is that a true story? That was my, that is, <laughs> that's, the, that's the story he did when he was, he was my coach my freshman year at Arkansas. Oh, how and funny. Jackie Sherrill, that's who you're talking Jackie about. Jackie Sherrill, yes. He became the head coach at Mississippi State, and he was a real volatile kind of guy. And uh, so, yeah, he did that to motivate his team <laughs> after they had lost to a smaller college and uh, took this alligator and carried it around and said, Said you got to be tough. You got to be tough. You know how tough? And he put this alligator, put this alligator, bite into the back of his rear, and said, "Pull that alligator off." And said, "Can you be that tough?" And the big old lineman in the back of the room said, uh, "Yeah, coach, but you don't have to poke me in the eyes to make me let go." <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I had that. I was going to tell that in my church. Uh, and I decided not to. I figured the ladies wouldn't appreciate it. So, oh, that's so good. Hey, what I'm going to do, Robert, is I'm going to – we have a something called the rapid fire round. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you questions. I have four questions, and this is a round I've never done before. This is called the questions I've always wanted to ask you round because I'm a little bit – I you gave me some clarity just now that you left – the senior pastor ministry in 05 to pursue uh, manhood, uh, the manhood uh, ministry full time. But there are a couple things I just need some clarification on, and I know that you're somehow attached to them. So I just need you to help me to understand the whole picture of your ministry. So here's the first question or first phrase men's fraternity. Men's fraternity grew out of the fact that uh, the, the men's ministry at our church started because some good friends of mine from the University of Arkansas. We had started a church together and they had been fraternity brothers of mine. And they said, we need to do something for men. And I didn't know what they were talking about. I was preaching, I had discipleship groups, but they said, no, something specifically with men. And there weren't any real men's ministries back in 1990. So I started a men's Bible study at a gym early in the morning, had 30 guys come out, and the guy said, what are we going to name it? And uh, what I did is I said, well, the guys who wanted me to do this were in my fraternity. So we called it Men's Fraternity. That's where the name came from. Okay, so Manhood Fraternity is not you at all then? No, it's Men's oh, Fraternity. Men's Fraternity. Okay, so it's next question then. And again, some of these might not even be attached to you, but the, your name comes up with these phrases. And so I just need some clarity. The next okay. phrase is Authentic Manhood. Authentic Manhood. 
It's because in the in the 90s, because of what had happened with the sexual revolution and the gender revolution, there was just uh, the traditional terms for masculinity were being eroded. Men were feeling real insecure. And uh, I remember standing up in front of 300 guys one day and asking them, can you tell me a succinct definition of what a man is? And nobody, nobody had the courage to even try. Whoa. And so I said, guys, that's that. I, I didn't have a definition. Yeah. I said, that's what we've got to do. We've got to come up with something that is true, that is authentic, that is biblical. And uh, so that was the quest we went on that first year that was the kind of the footings that became my men's ministry. So in order to attract not just Christian men, but non-Christian men uh, with our men's ministry, I didn't call it up front biblical manhood. That's why I called it authentic manhood. So now is that is that where you coined the definition of manhood? And help me out, I'm going off a of memory, that a man accepts responsibility, rejects passivity, leads courageously, and expects a greater reward? Yeah, you almost got it. It starts reject passivity. You can't go to responsibility, and first you re- reject passivity. Then once you've done that, you can accept responsibility, then lead courageously and expect God's greater reward. Okay, so I had the right ones in wrong order. That's right. Okay, that's right. okay, that's good. Passivity is the great tragedy of men today. Is they just they just sit and wait on the things that are the most important things. So, you know, it's interesting, Robert, I mentioned this earlier. We actually, when we launched our ministry, I took your uh, definition of manhood along with a friend of yours, Stu Weber's Four Pillars of Man, uh, Four Pillars of a Man's Heart, and I worked with those and, and it evolved into what we have defined as manhood, which is very similar, and it's, it's like climbing a mountain. So we start with protecting integrity, because we think that rejecting pass- or a man who doesn't accept responsibility has an integrity issue. And then fighting apathy is the passivity component that he has the greatest battle of his time is to climb this mountain and reject the cultural voices and reject the the natural tendencies of the fall. And then pursue God passionately is the apex of manhood. Leading courageously is that backside where we see a lot of men who are believers don't lead. And then, of course, uh, finishing strong, which is more of a chip on my shoulder as I I look at men who don't finish well. So that's what we did. So, I, I mean, I really... Uh, man, that that was monumental in my life. I presented my three sons with knives that have your definition of manhood engraved on them, and they still have those knives today. So really, really appreciate that. So the next phrase I have a question about is not a phrase. It's a number. Okay. And I bet you can guess the number. <laughs> 33. 33. 33 is the second edition of the men's fraternity curriculum. Oh. Uh, some of the guys that I started men's fraternity with, as uh, it began to get a little older in its version, uh, they said, hey, we need to do a more um, uh, more engaging film series that is shorter, six weeks in length. So they broke up men's fraternity into seven, six-week segments. We got some younger guys. And because it was a 2.0 version, they didn't want to call it men's fraternity. They felt like men's fraternity was too localized to the South, which it probably was. Uh, So they came up with 33 for the 33 years of Jesus's life. 
okay, that adds so much clarity for me because, you know, we're involved in our ministry doing our thing. So we've never really, we've never had your curriculum, but I, I've always said, hey, if you want large group video curriculum, this is the way to go because it is so outstanding. I mean, it's very, very, very good. Okay, that helps me. So the last, yeah. the last question or the last phrase, which I already know the answer, I just want you to explain it because I think it's monumental in your ministry, Modern Day Night. Modern Day Night. Modern Day Night grew out of the fact that uh, when we started the church here in Little Rock, there were two other pastors who were great friends of mine from college. So we really started it through a college friendship. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and by the way, we're still great friends today, 50 years later. Wow. Uh, but, uh, but in those early days, uh, we, we all had uh, sons. Between us, we had seven sons. And this was even before men's fraternity started. Wow. And one night we were having a get-together of the three couples in our families, uh, seven sons and five daughters. And in that evening, one of the women, one of the wives asked the three dads, uh, as we watched these little rugrats run around at our feet, they, she said to us, she said, how are you going to raise these boys and the men? Ah. And uh, we laughed, you know, kind of uncomfortably. And then when she left, we looked at each other and went, how are we going to raise them and the men? And we admitted to each other, we didn't know how. And uh, that led me to beginning to explore this whole issue of manhood that got further... Uh, uh, kind of accentuated when some of my college friends said we need to do something for men and that kind of thing. So I got into the research of what it meant to be a man. Uh, at that same time, I took my family to Europe. My mom left me a small inheritance and I had a friend over there who was a Polish pastor and we spent the summer living in Poland. And that was right after the wall came down Poland was basically a wasteland at the time. It wasn't what it is today. And one of the things the pastor did for me and my boys is he took us to explore castles. And those castles were left unattended by the communists. So you could walk into them. You could spend the night in them. Wow. And I mean, some of them were quite dramatic. But I started studying knights and castles during that summer and realized there was a staged approach for a young boy to become a knight. He had to go through, you know, a page stage, you know, then he had to grow to the next stage and then he needed to be knighted and then he needed to take on a cause as a knight. And so I just took those things and said, you know, we're talking about how to raise a boy to a man with my buddies. I said, maybe we can use the knight outline to be an outline for how we raise our boys and the men. So I came back and told those two dads, hey, let's create four stages of manhood and we'll hold each other accountable and we'll begin to do this and raise our sons through ceremonies like they, they did with knights. We'll raise our boys into men. So uh, Jim, for the next 20 something years, we raised those seven sons together and we had 28 ceremonies, four for each one, introducing them to manhood, uh, encouraging them to manhood at 16, launching them into manhood at 18, and then having them join our manhood roundtable at 21. We did that for all 
seven sons over 28 years. And I'm proud to say that uh, uh, I'm sitting here today in Little Rock and I can look around the city and there are seven sons who are all believers. Uh, Some of them are in full-time ministry, all married to Christian women and all having uh, a certain level of spiritual leadership in their churches. And so whatever we did, by God's grace, it worked out right. Wow. Well, that's so powerful. And then how many copies has Raising a Modern Day Night sold? Because that that book has been instrumental with my my kids and, and many others around me. Well, I you know, I don't have a fixed number. It's uh, It's still selling really well. I would say it's probably getting close to 700, 800,000 copies. Oh man, we need to get that thing over a million guys. You need to pick up that book. <laughs> I mean, any man with a, with preteen or teens. I said, I'm looking forward to the day that it sells over a million. I mean, men's fraternity is sold well over a million, all three volumes, but uh modern day night, it just keeps, it just keeps clicking along every yeah, year. That's a great, that's a great book. So, so let's go back to your, your pastor. So you're, so you're a pastor and you, you, you first got directly involved in men's ministry in 1990. Yep. And then in 05, you left full, the full-time pastor to pursue uh, men's ministry full-time. How did this happen? And what did you discover about men along the way? Yeah, that's a great question because to be honest, Jim, I think the thing that your listeners need to hear is I didn't have a clue how to be a man. <laughs> Only thing I knew how to do is preach from a pulpit, mm-hmm. and I, which is why I think a lot of pastors, I think a lot of pastors uh, honestly are looking for their own masculinity in pursuing Jesus. Agreed. I think, I think there's some deeper chords there that uh, they think Christianity is going to answer every question that they have as a man. And I think it can, but it can only do it in a community of men, not just by pastoring a church. So I, I went into ministry, um, I think, still looking for my masculine soul. And uh, so when those guys came and said, would you help us with a men's ministry? Uh, the person that got helped the most over the next five years was me, because I began to understand things that I had never articulated uh, for myself. And uh, just because you know, I feel comfortable up in front of a group. I can share openly and transparently. I went on a journey with these men on discovering what it meant to be a man. That's why the first film series I did was called The Quest for Authentic Manhood. Yeah. And the title Quest is because I was on the quest. Wow. And in that journey, uh, I really began to establish foundations for my life and vocabulary for my life that other men found helpful for their lives as well. And that's where we created a men's movement. So, uh, so that's how it went. That's so intriguing. So you, you said, quote, I didn't have a clue about being a man. I just knew how to preach from the pulpit. Now, I've been in full-time ministry since 1990. I got in the church about 22 years old, from 22 to 54. Not one of the men who were my senior pastors finished the race as a senior pastor. All of them eventually left the ministry through either moral failure or burnout or have what, what have you. Would you say that a successful men's ministry in a church 
must have the senior pastor directly involved. What is your what have you seen with the senior pastor involvement and the success of men's ministries and churches? Yeah, I think the senior pastor is the gatekeeper. Uh, he, he's just the gatekeeper. Uh, so if it doesn't if it doesn't grab his heart at some level, uh, men's ministry won't flourish in a local church because it won't get his support. The big disappointment of the last 10 years is I've traveled America urging pastors to get some involvement in, in, in helping implement and um, uh, fuel a men's ministry within their church. I think a lot of pastors don't uh, because they're not sure about their own masculinity. I just think they're not sure. Agreed. And, and because of that, I think that's why you can travel. You and I could travel around the country and we can find in every church, I can go into almost any church and find a great children's program, a great youth program, a good women's ministry, a good missions program, maybe even a good singles program. But when it comes to a men's ministry, a men's engagement in a local church, it's very minuscule. It's usually randomly an event that occurs once a year. It's a retreat. Uh, it, it's some emphasis for a short period of time, but an ongoing men's ministry that really equips men to understand their masculinity and live it out. Uh, the majority of churches don't have that. Yeah, I was on the phone call with a guy this week from Michigan who's very frustrated because he's trying to get something to start at his church. His church is a multi-site mega church, seven sites, and he there's zero dollars for budget budgeted for men and zero men's ministries. And it seems like that model shies away from working with men and more is about children. But our mutual friend, Stu Weber, built maybe the biggest church in Oregon in the 90s based solely around manhood. And so what's the rub between those two models? Well, again, I just go back. I think that there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of, and, and I don't, I'm not accusing anybody of yeah, anything. Yeah, for sure. I, so I just go, one of the things that's real clear to me is one of the reasons men's ministry doesn't get the attention it needs is because a pastor himself is not in touch with what he doesn't have. And the lack of a sense of real security as a man, it's a lot easier to preach from a book you are sure about yes. than your masculinity that you're not sure about. So pastors engaging men in the community to say, let me tell you what it means to be a man. If they don't have clarity for themselves, then they tend to just draw back from it. Because if you don't have a vision, the key to a man is to have a masculine vision. That's why that yes. definition so grabbed you, I think we need a national definition of masculinity because when men have a vision for what it means to be a man, they come alive. There, there are two things that make a man a self-initiating man. One, they've got to have an understanding of the Christian faith, but they also have to have with it an understanding of spiritual masculinity. And when those two things can be joined together, listen, Step out of the way because that guy's going to make, he's going to become a difference maker. And yet, knowing that and knowing how much men can impact a church, I've seen it in my church, Stu's church. I, I, we turned almost the whole city around with the men that we 
help develop their masculine side as long as well as their spiritual Jesus side. Those two, when they come together, they're a powerful combination. And when you see that happen, it changes a church. But we're not doing that. And so what we've got is we've got church-going men who are also toxic men. Yes, yes. Starved. They're being starved because they don't have a masculine vision that allows them to self-manage themselves. So they just tend to be dependent on the pastor week in and week out that some more principles from the Bible will help them in some way understand who they are. And I go, well, they need biblical principles, yes, but it needs to be with masculine language because they need to recover their masculine soul. This is so good, Robert, because I keep thinking we have the same DNA and I realize, wait, no, I have your DNA. Your DNA got passed on to me and we're passing it out there. So this is so, you're like my DNA manhood father. This is so fun. So you talked about your big disappointment and you said men have a need a vision. And I'm going to, I'm going to narrow that down a little bit. I think I, I agree with you hundred percent. I'm calling that a target. If men have a target to shoot out, Weber would probably call it a hill to die on, right? If we know exactly what that is as men, as conquerors, the conqueror, the warrior pillar, so to speak, kicks in and we move forward. But if we don't have a target to shoot at, a vision for manhood, a, a hill to die on, we kind of drift aimlessly downstream. Is this what you're saying? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that exactly. I think when people ask me around the world, and by the way, men around the world are all the same too. That's Egg, been yep. a great opener for me. But, uh, but you know, there, there, there's, there's certain fundamental keys to men that bring them alive. And of course, one of those is to know that there is a God, that there is a Savior, and that they can connect with him. That's, that's fundamental number one. The other fundamental, they're like twin towers, is he needs to know what it means to be a man, and he needs to be able to articulate it to himself and every day measure himself by that masculine vision. And the scripture is very clear. In Proverbs, Solomon says, without a vision, the people perish. And it's interesting that the word perish there in the Hebrew is the word out of control. And so I always would tell guys, I go, without a vision, men get out of control. That's how they perish. Yeah. And in modern terminology, without a vision, men turn toxic. Yeah. And that's what you are. You can go and look in a community and ask men on the street, what does it mean to be a man? And they will, they will kind of drop their eyes and they will shuffle around. They don't know. And what they are saying is there is a major energy source of my life that's missing because I can't answer that fundamental question. Well, that's interesting because where there is no vision, people perish. In the New American Standard, it says where there is no vision, people cast off or throw off restraint. So there's no restraint. So the, the things I uh, once, as a believer, once struggled to have victory over, when I lose that vision or that target, I, I begin to celebrate those sins now. I cast off, I have a friend of mine who I love deeply who said, uh, Christianity was a, you know, he was a missionary, he was a full-time ministry guy saying, Christianity is guilt and shame. Now that I do whatever I want, I sleep with whoever I want, and I have no guilt or shame. And I thought, but you are totally cast off restraint and your family won't talk to you. 
So there's yeah. so there's an issue here. So so pr- let's talk about practice here. What practical impact did the men's ministry that you took on have on the life of your church? You hinted at it almost taking over the city. And then how would you assess a men's ministry in churches today? Like, how would you assess how healthy that men's ministry is? Well, let me answer that first. Yep. Men's ministry in America is, is impoverished. It's not thick. It's thin. And uh, yet, when I go to certain churches where the pastor has... And I'm not saying the pastor has to do the whole men's ministry. I'm actually pastors, they don't need to do that. They okay. just need to be one that affirms the absolute importance of it and then provides a few outlets for it to thrive. And in today's world, the pastor uh, can cause a men's ministry to thrive by just uh, calling on some key men in the church who got the passion for men's ministry and give them a, a, a platform to do certain basics, like in teaching men how to be a dad or teaching men the fundamentals of manhood or giving men resources so they can form their own small groups to do manhood. Uh, Those are the kind of things a pastor can encourage. And if those things start happening, he's going to have a church that's going to start flourishing. He's going to see things he's never seen before. He's going to see men initiate ministries that go outside the church. That's what we saw at our church when guys really began to claim their manhood, we didn't have to get them in a program so they would do ministry. Those guys went out dead gummit and started their own programs. Yeah. Many of which were bigger than ours as a pastor. I, I remember in, in the late nineties, we had uh, several small group ministries led by men who took on mission projects. One was a group of doctors. Another was a group of businessmen. And their, get this, Jim, their budget for their two outside ministry programs was bigger than our missions budget, and we were a church of 5,000. 5, Holy cow. Wow. That's I mean, awesome. We had medical missions going on in South America in the tens of millions of dollars that our church, they were members of our church, but our church didn't run and didn't fund. It was just the men of our church that led it. Well, hey, it goes back to what we say all the time. When a man gets it, everyone wins. That's right. And it, it, and, and it becomes explosive. And we still have that going on even today. Because like you said, when a man understands what it means to be a man before God and understands what God is willing to do for him as a Christian, those two fundamentals together change the world. Wow. So... So fast forward, let's to 2020. What would you say to a pastor right now in this day and age about reaching and helping men? Okay, I would I I, I do it all the time. So I'll summarize <laughs> it. It's this is my passion, Jim. Yeah. I would say, first of all, the greatest thing I ever did as a pastor of a mega church was get involved in men's ministry. I didn't have to do it all, but not getting involved or affirming the value of it is what I call in the church today, the big miss. Yes. And it's killing our churches and we don't know it. So I would say to pastors, first of all, it's the big miss. You'll enjoy it. You don't have to lead it. And I always tell pastors, if you're not comfortable in your own masculinity and you, you get guys in men's ministry, they're going to threaten you a little bit because when they come alive, they're going to start making things happen. And you're going to have to get on board. But I would say to, if I were starting men's ministry today as a pastor, here's what I'd do. 
I would get some basic men's curriculum that taught young men, I'm saying between 20 and 40, the fundamentals of manhood. And I would get some men leaders to teach that every year at my church. And, if, and, and stand up in front of the church every year and say, if you've not been through the fundamentals of manhood, we've got these guys over here, they'll teach you. That would be the first thing I'd do. Second thing I'd do is I would teach a dad class every year to help young men who haven't grown up with a dad, but who now are dads, learn how to be a dad. Because anytime a guy has a son or a daughter, right after they're born, they have tremendous interest in being a dad. And if you can capture that initial interest and teach them the fundamentals of fathering, they will change the world through that. The third thing I would do is I would just offer my men every year the best of the best men's resources and tell the guys right up front from the pulpit, I'm not going to manage this. These resources are here. If you've got an issue that you want to grow in, go find the best resource that we have, get some other men together and go through it and you lead it. We're not going to lead it. Let masculinity decentralize because men going through a standard big group every year doesn't attract men. They get bored. Yeah. You can do fundamentals on manhood and do it big. But after that, it needs to go decentralized and let men choose their places of need and interest and just provide them resources to help propel them forward to get better. That's yeah. what I would tell them today. And if they don't do it, Jim, it's the big miss. And your church is going to pay huge deficits for not doing that. Okay, I have a feeling that that phrase, the big miss, is going to be a part of my common vernacular now. That is so good. Well, one of the things I've noticed when I travel around the country and speak to men is I'm appalled when there's a men's breakfast or a men's retreat and the pastors don't show up. Don't that, show up. I can tell you why. I'm just telling you. If, if I were in a room with my brother pastors, and I've been one now for 50 years, yeah, so I can yeah, say yeah. I would stand in front of a group of pastors and I would say this. If, if you're not reaching your men or encouraging your men into growing as a man specifically and getting with men specifically, if you're not doing that, it's saying something big about you. Yes, sir, it is. Right, and then I'd lean forward and I'd say, look at me. It's <laughs> saying you're not comfortable being a man yourself and you need to deal with it because if you don't deal with it as a shepherd, you're starving one half of your sheep. Well, and I'll tell you what, all you have to do is look out at the audience. If you, Our church is 65 to 70% men every Sunday. That's strategic. If you look out in the audience and you're a pastor and your church is 40% men in the church, you need to look inside and see, say, what's going on in me that's prohibiting men from wanting to be a part of my church? That's this right. is so good. Hey, we're going to take a sponsor break. Come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group. 
today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Okay, so I <clears throat> I feel like I should fly to Little Rock and just sit at your feet for a couple weeks. I would really, really enjoy that. But we have 20 minutes left, so I'm going to jump into something because you've done so much. It's just been fun to have a guy who's about 20 years older, kind of paved the way for what we're doing. And I just really, from my heart, just really appreciate you and your ministry and how you're multiplying through other ministries uh, that aren't aren't even connected to you, but now we are. And so I do want to ask you a question because you're onto something new, which led to a little confusion for me. So you're, you were with Men's Fraternity, but now you've launched a brand new venture called Better Man. Can you explain how... Is that a part of men's fraternity? Is it something totally different, a totally different organization? H- help me understand how that process came about. Okay. Men, men's fraternity grew out of the church I pastored. Oh. When I started men's fraternity, I didn't start men's fraternity to sell anything. Okay. I started men's fraternity because I had some guys say, we need to do something for the men. And so I just faithfully as a pastor invested in the men of my church and by God's grace, and it was, by the way, a big surprise because it was his grace, he determined he wanted to take it bigger than my church. And that's what happened. It was God's blessing. I, I didn't have a clue how to do it. It just kind of unfolded that way. So as the years went by, men's fraternity went national, international. But then those videos, just like any videos, got tired. I mean, I'm up there teaching as a 45-year-old. I'm 70 now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that created a movement because we'd created an organization to help fund men's fraternity and do workshops around the country. So that's where some of the staff came and said, let's do a new version. We did 33. So we, instead of me being the teacher, we got some younger guys to do it. That was great. They did it. 33 is still going really well. Uh, I stepped out and began to just travel and teach and that kind of thing. And uh, one day, some guys, some old men's fraternity guys came to me and they said, hey, um, we'd like to reach younger men in the city because, uh, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of young guys who are growing up without dads and stuff like that. And uh, could we do something? And, and Jim, here's what I want you to know. All this just happened. I, I wasn't looking for it. And, and the church was doing 33. They didn't want to do another men's ministry. So my own <laughs> church told me no. <laughs> okay, which is not a big deal. They had 33 going. It's just and, Robert Lewis. It's just Robert Lewis. Yeah, they just said, we already got something going. So I said, okay. But these men from, were from all over the city because we had like 15,000 guys in Little Rock go through men's return. So they're from churches all over the city. So I got 40 of those guys together and I said, okay, well, let's just do an outreach to younger men and I'll create a new curriculum and it'll be for millennial men. And so they said, yeah, let's do something like that. So we got, we rented a hotel ballroom 
And those guys, we didn't do any, any advertisement. The older men went out and invited men, 20 to 40, to join them at a table. And so I thought, okay, we'll get, you know, 100 guys, 50 guys, and I'll just do, uh, I'll do some, some curriculum aimed at where younger men are, and uh, we'll call it Better Man. Uh, actually, we called it Man to Man in the beginning. It, it, it kind of evolved into the word Better Man. So I was expecting, you know, 50, 100 guys to come. Well, lo and behold, 250 guys, 250 guys came. We filled the room. So we did it again next year, and almost 600 guys came. Wow. So I'm teaching this curriculum to these guys. No sponsors, no churches. It's just older men, over 40, inviting younger men. So that's how we started. And while I was doing that, some men from Dallas, Texas, who had gone through men's fraternity, uh, flew up and looked at it. And one of the guys is a very successful businessman. He said, I think guys all over the nation need to hear this. And he said, I'm willing to help sponsor it. And I said, what does that mean? It means I'll help pay for it, film it, and sponsor it. And so we talked for about a year about doing that. And so last year, we created an organization called Better Man. And we have filmed it from uh, three different perspectives, same curriculum. I wrote the curriculum. We got three different speakers. We got a Hispanic speaker. We got a young hip speaker. We've got a more seasoned man speaker uh we're, we're going to bring on an african-american speaker they're all doing the same curriculum and then with the resources of my funder we've created this really i think spectacular website called betterman.com where you can go and get all the training you can get all the resources for free there's a virtual form of it that we're doing we we're going to launch in april but because of the virus we decided to really launch more in august but we worked with George Barna and created a national survey of where men are today. We're going to release that as a book between Better Man and Barna uh, in August. But right now, what we're doing is just encouraging guys through mediums like your podcast to say, if you wanted to do a better man, you could go on our website. You can get all the training. It won't take you very long to get it. But then if you want to do it the way it's laid out over those 11 weeks, if you'll just sign up, we will send you all the resources to do a virtual group for free. Wow. So and it's called. Did I hear you say that you're writing a book called Better Man? I'm going to this next year. And when I will that book come out? Well, <laughs> don't put me into a commitment. I'm just putting the book together. So it'll be, yeah, I would say one to two years. But oh, I was just saying. Well, <laughs> curriculum is really like a book. Uh, that you can that you can download or we can give you a book. Uh, you can order a book as in a manual, but you go through the curriculum with a group of men, either in a small group with a couple of older men, with a couple of, with eight to ten younger men, or a pastor can get the curriculum. We'll train him on how to teach it live, and give him all the resources, and then he can do it for his community. But we we use this curriculum not to be a church curriculum, but an outreach curriculum because it's very attractive. We've already proven it as an attractive curriculum for non-Christians or de-church men as well as church men to understand what it means to be a man, to be introduced to the manhood of Jesus. And at the end of it, what I'm excited about is at the end of it, the last session, we introduced the men who finished 
to curriculums that we have partnered with all over the country with great ministries from Tim Keller to Family Life to all those, we will, we sponsor those curriculums where guys can go in and learn about these curriculums around our definition of manhood to choose to do their own customized manhood journey after the Better Man uh, foundational curriculum. Better Man is just a foundational curriculum of masculinity. So, okay, so you unleashed a whole lot of topics here. So <clears throat> the reason I asked about the Better Man book is I'd love to get you on our show and promote it before anybody else does. So when you're getting close and you've got a rough draft, uh, uh, I'd love to get a proof copy of that and get you on our show and promote it out here to the men that listen from 90 countries. Okay. Right now, the better man curriculum, uh, the way it's put together, I think you'd be real excited about it. But the thing is, it's, it's easy where any man can use it with younger men to help them develop their masculinity because it was designed to reach men 20 to 40 primarily but it's all done. It's all put together. All the training there, all is on the website and it's all free. Well, we're going to go visit that website after I'm done here today. So I got a couple questions based on a better man curriculum. So how are the topics different than let's say men's fraternity or 33? How, how do they overlap? Is there an overlap or is, are they distinctly different? The, the biblical concepts are a lot the same. It's just arranged in a modern day context. So we talk about what men struggle with today, not back in 1990s, what they struggle with today. And we unwrap those and let those guys feel that. We talk about guys telling stories with one another uh, by the speaker telling his story. Then we have an outside meeting time where the guys actually go off for an evening and sit around and all tell their stories together, their life stories, because we didn't do that in men's fraternity, but Men have never done that. And when they start connecting the dots that how I grew up and who I am now are intimately connected. And some of that is quite emotional and they need other men there to help them process together. And then we go from that to talking about, well, what is manhood? Where, do, where are the wells you go to to try to help you define your manhood? And uh, so we introduce what those wells are, you know, the culture or, you know, or me creating my own definition but we also talk about God's definition. That's where we introduce the Bible and what I call timeless manhood. And we unwrap that out of Genesis and create a definition. And then we start putting practical handles on that definition that, uh, that carry out the rest of the curriculum. And by the way, I shortened the definition. This, some guys who are old men's fraternity guys don't like this, but, but really I, to help guys be able to see it right in the scriptures, I just go to Genesis and what I lift out is not passivity, although we talk about passivity and we talk about courage. We talk about finishing well like you do. But manhood at its very essence, at the very headwaters of, of, of masculinity is life-giving responsibility. And so when you come to what manhood is as its most pure essence form, it's the four responsibilities that God gave Adam that are still in play today. And so we let guys look at Genesis when God speaks to Adam in those four occasions and the four things that God speaks to Adam about. One is being courageous and following his word. Because I always, I always like, this is always a surprise to guys. I say, guys, the garden was not a safe place. The garden was a very dangerous place. 
with all kinds of temptations. And the only way Adam could step up out of his boyhood to true authentic manhood is he would have to learn how to courageously follow the coach. And that's a, that's a fundamental of manhood. Secondly, he was given a woman to love and protect. And what are women crying out about today in oh, America? Yeah. It's not about love. It's about you don't protect me. You don't, you don't respect me and that kind of thing. So Adam was told to love and protect his, his wife, his woman, and he didn't do it. And that's a fundamental of manhood. Thirdly, it, he, Adam was given a sacred calling, a job that started with the garden. So part of masculinity is learning what your sacred calling is and to excel at it. And finally, manhood is all about leaving a legacy, which is kids. And so he was told to be fruitful and multiply, not just to bear a bunch of kids that became savages, but to raise up a healthy next generation. So we, those are the four kind of what I call essence, and I call it life-giving responsibilities, because a man who buys into those and really embraces those as his compass for life, he will become a life giver everywhere he goes, in his workplace, in his marriage, with his kids, you know, with his God. And when that happens, like you said, when the man starts changing around that compass, that north, south, east, west compass, everything changes yep. to the good. Everything changes. Well, so, so what I'm hearing you, and I'm going to unpack this the way I'm understanding it. So your original, I'm calling it definition of manhood, which is rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, expects a greater reward. Those are very similar, like I said, off of our definition, which we founded off of yours, which these are things that we have five things. Those are things a man does, right? They're all, they're verbs. He does this. He accepts, he rejects, he leads, he expects. But what you're doing with this new curriculum, and this is something I've been playing around with, and I've got a book idea that's down about two years from now that I'm working with my agent on. But what I've realized is that it's everybody's telling a man what they what they're what they're supposed to do. Don't be toxic. They're, here's what you should. And so I think the millennial man is going, "Hey, this is great." I think most men are saying this, but I want to know who I am. How am I different than a woman? How am I? You know, we're talking about, hey, you know, your your gender is a I, however you choose to identify in this society. But I believe that you put a bunch of little four-year-olds in the same room together, and the boys and the girls are going to be distinct automatically because there's something inherent that God has Absolutely. wired into a man. So what you're saying to me, what I'm hearing is that you're writing now, this this is a fundamental concept, is this concept is about who a man is innately designed by his creator, going back to Genesis, more than what a man does. That who what he does actually needs to flow out of who he is, and you identified these four things. That's right. God, God When God created Adam... He created Adam with a very central purpose. Yeah. And that is that he was to be the life giver. Eve was the life bearer. Adam was the life giver. That was his first responsibility out of which everything else flowed. And it is interesting to me, Jim, that when you get to the New Testament and it's talking about Jesus in 1 Corinthians and comparing the first Adam to the second Adam, uh, Paul calls Adam, uh, Paul calls the second Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Men, when men become truly authentic men, it's when they start giving off life rather than taking life. 
when men take life, they become the anti-man. They become the ultimate boy. Yep. When men learn how to give life away and make everybody else better and protect and watch over people and polish and better the world, when they're doing, when they're giving off goodness out of the essence of how they were created, that's when they become truly the full man that Jesus created them to be back in the garden with that prototype called Adam. And we're to be in the likeness of that first man before the fall. He was to be a life giver and he never fulfilled his call fully, but that calling is there every day for us, every day to get up and measure ourselves by better. By better. And better means people around me are getting life from me. And I need to know, well, what are those things? What are the what are the basics of those things? They revolve around following God's word and giving glory to God, loving, protecting a woman, excelling it in my workplace with my gifts, both in and outside the workplace, and bettering the world by, by raising up a healthy, well-adjusted next generation of change agents. That's what being a man is all about. That's so good, man. Well, we we draw a distinction. I'm a hunter. So I say, hey, there's a difference between a buck and a big buck. They're 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 genetically the same, but they're a whole different species. And I believe there's a difference between a male, you just said it and you inspired this thought, and a man. A a right. man ma- male, a male is born, a man, according to Tony Evans said this is made, right? And so I thought that was you said a man is a life giver. He's a life giver. And and what I thought about just now is I had a guy ask a question one time, are you an a- to men, are you an asset or a liability? A man is an asset, a male is a liability. And then don't you think it's funny? Uh, we're in this really unique situation with COVID-19. I've been preaching at, from 4 to 4.30 on Facebook Live for the last three weeks, talking about to how men can work through this thing and what the Bible says. But one of the things I think is interesting is we have drawn a line of delineation between a non-essential and essential worker. And, and, and so if we carry that on to manhood, what would you say distinguishes, what is the line of demarcation between a, an essential man and a non-essential man? I think it's, I think it's the direction his life is pointed because a man who's pointed outwardly to bless the world is a true man, a man who is taking from the world. He becomes, he becomes more like a vacuum cleaner who's trying to take away life for himself from others. That is the antithesis of true masculinity. And yet, when you look at today, so much of masculinity is look at me, give to me, help me, encourage me. And I go, that's a bunch of BS. It is. It is. No, I appreciate you saying that. What, what we need to do in, in raising up our boys is we need from the very beginning to be teaching them how to serve others, how to love others, how to see that that is the direction in which not only will you give life to others, but you will experience a much deeper life, more satisfying life for yourselves. I mean, one of the things that is good, there's not a lot good about being 70 because you have a lot of aches and pains, (laughs) but one of the things that I do have, Jim, that I can speak from now is I'm 70 years old. 
and I can look over the landscape of my life with my boys and my daughters and my grandkids, and I can see like the psalmist, indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Mm. Because when I see them flourishing, my soul is more fulfilled than anything I could do. I ha- I'm tasting the fruit of being a life giver. Mm. And in fact, if anything, it makes me want to go back and say, I wish I'd have done that more. <laughs> yeah. Because that's where life is. And I can look at my friends, and some of which have incredible wealth or incredible fame, and I'm counseling them. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because that fruit doesn't have the satisfaction that the fruit of being an authentic man provides. And and here's the good news. Any man can have the fruit I have. Yep. Well, it's interesting. I've told my three sons, they're now 22, 24, and 26, and I've told them all their life, listen, I don't care if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. I don't care if you're a garbage man. I don't care if you're a millionaire. You have to get Jesus right. If you get Jesus right, everything else will fall into place. If you get Jesus wrong, everything's a disaster. I have multimillionaire friends who can barely hold their lives together. Money does not make the man. It's a myth. It's a myth. And so that's so good, man. Well, I, well, Robert, I. Let me say one other thing, too, that I think is really good at this point. You know, what do men love to hear? They love to hear that they're doing good. Yeah. And you know what? The greatest joy there is, is to have your wife or your kids or your friends look at you and tell you how much they admire how well you've done and what an impact you've made in their lives. Yep. No greater. There's no greater. You can't give me most valuable player or top salesman or pastor of the year. Those things mean nothing. But when your wife says you're incredible, that, that does it right there. Or when your son say to you, dad, I am so proud to be your son. That's what life really is. Well, you know, John Maxwell defined success one point saying, success is for those who know me the best to respect me the most. And that's really good. So I got one last question. This is serious, though. I I hope you can handle this one. Save the best for last. So give me your height and weight at Arkansas, and I'm going to guess your position. Height and weight. when When I played there? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, 6'3", 225. Okay, so now this is in the 1970s, early yep. se- early 70s, 6'3", well, 2... It was late 60s, 69, 68, 69, and 70. So if you were 6'3", 225 in that, in that era, I'm going to put you, I'm going to, I'm going to put you as a defensive, like a defensive tackle. Okay. Or a tight end. Well, that's one of those two. Okay, well... Actually, I was an unusually large middle linebacker. Oh, holy, that's a giant back then. I, I, really, I was. I was the largest linebacker on the team. In fact, the largest player we had on the team in the 60s was uh, 6'4", 240. And most of our team, most of our team was uh, 
not over 215 pounds. Well, that's why I was thinking, I didn't think O-line. I thought maybe that would be 230s and up. And I thought 6'3", that's a pretty good tall guy for Arkansas, maybe a tight end or outside backer. But, man, inside backer, well, that's really impressive. Anyway, had to ask that question. Uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> forgive me for di- to digressing. But, hey, uh, Robert, thanks so much for coming on this show. I Man, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I don't want to violate your time. So if our guys want to get a hold of your curriculum, which I'm going to go reach out and check it out myself. So do we go to www.betterman.com? I would just go to, don't have to do the www, just go to betterman.com on your phone or your computer and it'll all, it'll all be there. Betterman.com and they can get the it's all self-explanatory just go have fun and look at look around oh that's awesome thanks so much for coming on our show hey guys so what's next guys let's get our boots on the ground how are you going to respond based on the wealth of information that you gathered today and here's what i want to ask you i want to challenge you during this this uh, time of vocational isolation and social distancing to get involved in some kind of virtual team, lock arms with other guys. I lead a virtual team. I have guys on my team from Texas, Nevada, Indiana, Oregon, and Missouri, and it's it's glorious. Lock arms with men. You can do that through better uh, betterman.com. Check out their website. I don't care what you do, guys, but get out there and lock arms with other men. And if you're a pastor, based on what Robert shared today, I want to encourage you emphatically to get involved in the men's ministry of your church on some level so that you can understand what it means for you to be the best version of a masculine man that God has designed in you. So, guys, we'll post that boots on the ground in our weekly equipping blast. It goes out to men around uh, all over the country. And when you guys do that, uh, we'll take care of that. And also, if you could go to our website and get a free copy of my bathroom book for men, and when you do that, we'll add you to our stuff. So, guys, Dale, what's up next, man? Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.